Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, channel pros. Welcome to episode 33 of the Channel Journeys podcast, sponsored by Channel Journeys. This is Rob Spee. I'm the founder of Channel Journeys, and I am on a mission to share my passion for the channel, my quest for continuous learning through this podcast, and we have got a treat in store. I love all my guests, but today is super special. He is a global keynote speaker, a strategic advisor to top corporations, a technical futurist, And several prior podcasts have mentioned his best-selling books, including Flash Foresight and The Anticipatory Organization. I'm talking about Daniel Burris, and he shares totally game-changing information on how we can anticipate the future and be channel disruptors through positive innovation. And at his core, Daniel is a teacher. He loves to teach. And well, at Channel Journeys, we love to learn, so what a perfect match. Whether you are a vendor or a channel partner, there is some awesome content in this podcast here for you. Let's jump right in and get to it with Daniel Burris, our technical futurist. Here we go. Hey, Daniel Burris, good afternoon. Great to have you on the Channel Journeys podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. A real pleasure. Oh, it's my pleasure. I've been really wanting to interview you ever since I heard you on a podcast with Laura Stewart, who I also had on my show. Oh, yeah. Yep. And Laura, you know, Laura, she was my first professional podcaster on the Channel Journeys podcast. And you are also another first, my first technology futurist. So congratulations. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Well, this is going to be fun. Where, Where are we reaching you today? Where are you calling in from? I, right now, I'm actually home, which is not always normal for me, and I have a couple of homes, but I'm in my summer lake home just outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Otherwise, I live in San Diego. Ah, okay. So where did you grow up, Milwaukee or San Diego? I grew up more in the Milwaukee area, and I've started all six companies here because it's centrally located. You know, there's a good labor force and a top 10 university, so I can do things from here. And by the way, taxes in California are not that great for companies, so I'm better off keeping the company here. And But that doesn't mean I have to be here because of technology. No, you can be anywhere. And, and when you can, being in San Diego, that's not a bad choice. Right, right. But as you know, I, I work uh, all around the world with clients and helping not only just giving speeches, but doing strategic advising and consulting. So I'm I'm on all continents. I don't get to the Arctic too often, but I'm in a, <laughs> I get to most places quite a bit. Yeah, I bet you rack up quite a few airline miles. Yeah, I think that's pretty crazy. I think I'm a two million miler on three airlines, and that's only three airlines. But you got to remember, I've been doing this for over 35 years, and I've given over 3,000 keynote speeches all around the world, and I've been you know working as a, as a strategic advisor. So you can add up a lot of miles when you're traveling the world like that. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty cool. So first question, I got to ask you, a futurist, how do you become a technology futurist? When did you start even thinking about the future and and making a career out of it? Yeah, well, you know, I had actually started five companies before this main company. And but I was always I started out teaching biology and physics. So in the beginning, I taught biology and physics. And so I'm a 
research guy at heart and a technology guy. Actually, I was the first undergraduate to direct a federal research grant, so I was into research right from the beginning. And I share that not in a bragging way, but rather to say all of my philosophies and all of the things that I write about in my books and my blogs are all well-researched. It's not just, here's an idea, let's throw it out there and see what happens. I want to make sure it works first. So what is really interesting, and I'll just share this as a kind of aside that's kind of funny, I went to one of those class reunions that I hadn't gone for decades and decades and decades, but there was a high school reunion that was really one of those big ones. And I decided to go just for the heck of it. And to my shock, because I didn't remember this, they were all saying, oh, yeah, you were also talking about the future. You're talking about the future of trains and the future of cars. (laughs) So, you know, maybe I'm just wired that way. Yeah, I think so. And I didn't even know that. I mean, I was like, whoa, I guess so. I had forgotten that. But what I did was I told you I and I'm going to not make this a long story because I want to cut to the chase to really help our audience here. But what I did was I left teaching to start a number of companies. They did well out of the six companies, five were profitable in the first year, four were national leaders in the first year in their field, which most entrepreneurs can't say. So in other words, the things that I'm sharing today in this podcast, they do work. I know I've tested them and others have used them and done well with them. But I missed teaching because it's really what I was put on the planet to do. And so I sold four of those companies, started my research company, decided that I didn't want to go back to teaching. I only would go forward because I'm the kind of guy that never goes back. I only go forward. That's why I write a Harley Davidson. There's no reverse. So, (laughs) you know, you can't go back and only go forward. So with that in mind, I was started doing, I did a year's worth of research. And I researched all areas of technology, lasers, robots, genetics, artificial intelligence, expert system, neural networks. By the way, they all existed way back in the 80s. They were in their early infancy, even the Internet, mm-hmm. not not the Web. But there yep. was a Internet back then that was being used by universities, which I tapped into as well. And I came up with a way of it, to make a long story short, of predicting the future by separating what I think we should talk about in here, and that is, the hard trends that will happen from the soft trends that might. And for those that are listening that have read any of my six books that I'm proud to say have been bestsellers and are in many languages or any of the thousands of articles I've written, you know I've got a track record of being right. And the reason I've got a track record of being right is I leave out the parts I can be wrong about. But there's so (laughs) much you can be right about. And the reason we're doing this blog or this podcast today, I'm a teacher. So I don't want to just be some guy that sweeps into your podcast, says, wow, I'm really right about this stuff. And here's some things that are going to happen. Good luck. I want to share my passion for teaching. I want to teach everyone listening today how to do it. So this is not just a here's a prediction, but rather, how did you get that? And how are you right? And how are you able to do all those things? Because you can either be agile. Agility is reacting quickly after a problem occurs reacting quickly after a disruption disrupts. And that's what everyone is focused on, being more agile. But it is a reactionary strategy. And because technology is accelerating the pace of change at an exponential rate, agility will have less value every year. So first of all, I want you to be agile, but you're going to find you need something else. And that's why we're talking today. And that is, I want you to learn how to anticipate, not just react. I want you to anticipate problems before you have them. So you can pre-solve them and not have them in the first place. I want you to anticipate the disruptions before they disrupt. 
so that you have a choice to be what I call a positive disruptor or be the disrupted, because you're going to be one of the two. There is no middle. Well, we want to be on Channel Journeys. We want to be the disruptors, not the disrupted. And I can't wait to learn. I've read your book, The Anticipatory Organization, loved it. Have a lot of questions for you on that book and how we can apply it in the channel. But you mentioned hard trends and soft trends. So I want to kick this off with a quiz. I've got the Daniel Burris hard trend, soft trend quiz for you. Are you ready? I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. I want you to tell me if it's a hard trend or soft trend, because I really wasn't sure when I was putting these down. So yeah, good. here's a trend. More and more technology is being delivered as a service. Is that a hard trend or a soft trend? Absolutely a hard trend. Now, the key is why? And I think let's, first of all, before going further in the quiz, help everyone that's listening to know the difference. Okay. So that they can, so they can get a little context to our quiz. Is that okay? Oh, let's do it. All right, let's do it. So there is no shortage of trends. Let's face it. You came up with a list to give. So if there's no shortage of trends. The real problem is which ones are going to happen and which ones aren't. And secondly, when. So what I've done is I've come up with a way of separating all trends, all trends into one of two categories. Either they're a hard trend or a soft trend. A hard trend is based on what I call a future fact. It will happen. It's not an if or a maybe. It's not a highly likely. No, no, no. It's a absolute future for sure. It will happen. So if you're Google, if you're the U.S. government, if you're the United States Air Force, you cannot stop this from happening no matter how much you try. The good news, here's the advantage of it. The good news is there's a way that I'm going to teach you today where you can see it coming before it happens. And anytime you can see a disruption before it disrupts, anytime you can see change before the change hits, you can use that to your advantage. So the second type of trend, the other type of trend, is soft trends. And a soft trend might happen. It's not a guarantee. It's not a future fact. It's actually based on an assumption about the future. And often those assumptions are viewed as a future fact, but they're not. And just to give you part of the power of this, strategy based on uncertainty has high risk. And right now, it seems like we're in a completely uncertain world. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen with politics? What's going to happen with chips? What's going to happen with 5G? What's going to happen with the channel? What's going to happen with my partners? Are there the right partners? I got all this uncertainty. What's going to happen with the money I've saved? What's going to happen with the home value that you have if you own mm -hmm. a home or the rents you're paying? And here's the thing. Strategy based on uncertainty has high risk. On the other hand, in an uncertain world, I have to ask myself, what am I certain about? Nothing other than death and taxes. And the answer is, oh, no, I can be certain about an amazing number of things. As a matter of fact, hard trends gives you certainty. And let's tie that to now real quickly before I go back to your quiz test and getting people to act on what you say and sales. So there's nothing better than uncertainty to opening the door to a sale. Nothing better than a confused customer. However, the ultimate closing tool is not uncertainty. The ultimate closing tool is certainty. Because if I'm uncertain, if I, even I got a little bit of uncertainty, if it's kind of still an if or a maybe, you know what, thank you, I'm gonna, I, I need to get another opinion, I need to think this over. But if you give me complete rock-solid confidence that, and certainty, you know what, I'll write a big check. I'll boldly move forward. And if you're a leader in this world of channel, if you're one of the leaders, how do you get people, your people, to make a bold move? Well, they're not going to do it when they're uncertain, but they surely will 
when they are certain. So now coming back to the answer to your first question on our quiz, and we'll go back to the quiz, Mm -hmm. and that is there's three categories of hard trends, and you hit on one of them in that first one. The three categories are technology. For example, we are just getting 5G. Well, after that, is that it? No, we're going to have 6G, followed by 7 and 8. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, I can even tell you, it, I've, been ever, you know, man, I've been around since 1G, and it was easy to predict when 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 come out and how powerful each one will be because they're riding an exponential wave that's very predictable. Just like storage was easy to predict on you know, how much we'd be able to store and how much it would cost. Just like it was very easy to predict processing power and the cost of computing going all the way since the early 80s. I've been very accurate about that. Why? Because there's something called Moore's Law. It's pretty easy to predict when you've got an actual curve and you can just plot everything along on that. So the technology part, that category of hard trend, the ability to virtualization is part of that. Mm -hmm. We started out virtualizing what? Software. Then we, you know, software as a service. Then we started to do what? Hardware. So now we've got the cloud and we've got all those things. And then what else can we virtualize? And I'm going to tell you the answer to that right now. That is, you can virtualize anything. <laughs> Any service can be virtualized. What would you like to virtualize? So virtualization is one of many technology hard trends. The answer is absolutely that will go farther. And it's writing an exponential curve. Would you say like Uber virtualized cabs and Airbnb virtualized hotels? Is that what you're talking about? Well, what they did is something that It's more than just virtualization because there's another hard trend category is mobility. Yeah. Right? So they're using apps and they're using mobile. By the way, Uber wouldn't work very well in a 2G world. No, I wouldn't think so. (laughs) You need bandwidth. That's right. By the way, streaming Netflix on your iPad or phone or tablet doesn't work very well in a 3G world. So we have billion-dollar companies that started because of 4G capabilities. By the way, here's a prediction for you. In the next 12 to 18 months, we'll see the beginning of new billion-dollar companies that will be enabled by 5G that could not exist with 4G or 3G or 2G. So there's amazing opportunity if you take the time to look. Daniel, that's before I jump back into the quiz, which I'm dying to do, but there you just made me think. What kind of channel business could we create with 5G? Well, just like all transformational technologies, it could be very huge for those that do not use legacy thinking. See, everyone knows about legacy technology. That's the old stuff. Everything runs on the old stuff. But now we have all this new stuff, and we can't just turn off the old and turn on the new. You know, we've got that that conundrum. But legacy technology doesn't worry me as much as legacy thinking. That's what I would call rear view mirror thinking. Most of us are driving forward into the future, but we're spending more time looking through the rear view mirror than the windshield. So if we use a anticipatory mindset, we really think, wait a minute, let's look at what 5G gives us in terms of capabilities and then put on a positive disruptor hat and look forward, what are the things that, where's the friction, where are the areas that could be improved? By the way, everything can be improved. And is there a way that 5G with the amazing speed and low latency could be used to do something that's impossible today? That's where you're going to start getting your answers. Okay, great. Now I got to get you back to the quiz. I got a couple more hard trend, soft trend questions for you. Ready? Yep. Okay. 
customers seem to want business outcomes, not products anymore. Is that a hard trend or a soft trend? Well, I think it depends on what customer you're talking to makes it a little bit more on the soft end because it's not a future fact, but highly likely. Now, you might be saying, wait a minute, something that's highly likely sounds like you're splitting hairs between a future fact. And the answer is, well, actually, it is a big difference because something that is a future fact, if you're doing an innovation or launching a new product or service around a future fact, you've got extremely low risk in doing it and an extreme high risk in not doing it. Why? Because if you don't, someone else will. When it's a, even if it's a strong possibility, it means that you have to have strategies in place to profit from either direction, because you're going to find people that that works with and people that it doesn't work with. People that are, as using the last metaphor, people that still have a rearview mirror mindset, and then there'll be people that have a windshield mindset, and you've got to be able to talk to and work with both. So that would be what I would consider a soft trend. But let me just, before we go any further, let me just mention between hard trends and soft trends, two really important things to understand. A trend, any kind of trend by itself, frankly, I'm bored. I'm bored. You are too. That's why a lot of us don't spend time with trends. <laughs> when, how do you make a trend burst into life? And that is you attach a related opportunity for you to that trend. So again, going back to 5G, it's like 5G is a hard trend. That is happening and it's being rolled out right now. So what is the related opportunity for you in the channel? Now you're starting to burst that trend into life rather than just have an academic discussion about 5G or when you're talking about your customers and the things that they're asking for, the needs that they might have. Separate it. Now the beauty of a soft trend is if you don't like it, you can influence it. So the advantage of a hard trend is you can see it coming, lets you turn change into opportunity. A soft trend, the advantage is you can influence it in a positive way. So in this case, I want to influence this soft trend, which is highly likely to make sure we're taking advantage of it because it is highly likely, even though it's not a future fact. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. Well, I don't want to bore the audience with trends, but I got one more for you. And I think there could be a massive opportunity attached to it. So with the baby boomers aging, and there's also an aging of the channel, a lot of our traditional legacy partners are going to age out and retire over the next 5, 10, 15 years. And I think that's going to bring an influx of a lot of brand new partners coming in much younger with new thoughts and ways to approach things. Is that a hard trend or a soft trend? Well, it's absolutely a hard trend because I mentioned there were three categories of hard trends. Technology is one of those categories, absolutely. Another one is demographics. And you just hit on that category. You know, there's 10,000 people in the United States retiring every day. And young people, I mean, if you're a baby boomer, you're not going to get younger all of a sudden. You're going to continue to get older. By the way, if you're a 20-something, a millennial, a Gen Z, you're not going to stay where you are. You're going to get older. And at some point, you may even have a family and you may even have to buy a bigger car. You may or rent a bigger car or Uber in a van. Yeah, so, you know, in other words, these are things that we know. So let's go with uh, the people. There's young people coming in to the channel, young partners, young and people who work for us. And they have different expectations. They think differently. And then you have a lot of things that uh, people that are retiring and leaving. So here's the thing that I want us to do. It's something that I teach in my book that's really powerful, and it relates to the channel. And that is... We need to end the war between the young and the old because there's an unspoken war right now in every organization. 
And here's the unspoken war. If you're younger, you're looking at the older people in the organization and you're thinking to yourself, man, they're like a fossil. I mean, they're so rigid and they think they're moving fast, but they're really moving slow. I got to get on LinkedIn and find a future somewhere and this isn't it. If you're older, you're looking at the young people and you're saying to yourself, how is the world going to survive them? I mean, all they want to do is text and play with their computers and look at their screens all the time. So in other words, there's a distrust. We got to end this war. We need to be working together. So if you're older, you have strengths and weaknesses. If you're younger, you have strengths and weaknesses, and they're completely complementary. So here's the insight for the channel. If you're older, what's your strength? Well, you've got wisdom. You've got 20, 30 years of experience. You've got relationships that are established. You know a lot of the nuances. That's your gold mine. That's fantastic. What's your negative? You're in the box and you can't get out. The box is called your career and you fortified it. You reinforced it. So you frankly think you're creative. You're not really that creative. Young people, they haven't built their box yet. They're super creative, but they don't have the relationships. They don't have all that background. They don't have all that experience. We need to be working together mm -hmm. to build the future together. So let's end this war. It's a stupid war in the first place. Well, I might have perpetuated the war on my last podcast call. We were joking about the younger generation and what's it going to look like when they're sitting down with partners at lunch? Are they going to be talking or just uh, texting each other? Well, let's, let's just think for a second. The world is a, another part of the book. The world is a technical world, true, but it's actually a human world. And it's all based on relationships. And there are good relationships and bad relationships. And good ones are all based on high levels of trust. And to get trust, you earn it through values like honesty, integrity, delivering on promises. So as younger people get older, they start to realize more and more they always had relationships. And many of them are online and many of them have high trust. But they're going to start realizing the power of relationships in moving their personal and their business agendas forward. And you'll see they can do it with technology. And there's also a time to do it without technology. It's a both and world, not an either or. So instead of it's either tech or eyeball to eyeball, I was just talking to an older guy on the phone just the other day. And he said, I believe it's uh, my, I'm kind of old fashioned. I think it's all going and talking to people and seeing people. And that's what it is. And that there isn't any text, any of this other stuff. That's what makes what I want to do. And I said, well, then you'll have a very limited market because uh, you have to go see everybody. I said, you could have a global market if you didn't have to see everybody. But again, there are people that you're going to want to see. It's a both and world. So you see the people you need to see when you need to see them to make sure that you've got the relationship that will let you move forward faster. And then you want to also have electronic relationships so that I can be influencing people all over the world. I mean, right now, let's face it, this podcast, thanks to you, I'm reaching out and trying to teach some of these concepts to people that we're not eyeball to eyeball, but yet you have a relationship with them. That's why they're tied into your podcast. You have a relationship with me in that you've read the book and want to share this. You see where I'm going? Yeah. And we have listeners in Australia, in the UK, Scotland, all over the place, Kenya. So we are reaching the globe right now. Great. Perfect. All right. So let's jump in and get to the meat of this. You like to teach. Let's teach our audience. So if I'm in a channel organization, how do I become an anticipatory channel organization? What is involved there? Are there some tips that you can give the audience on how they can get started? All right. Well, let me give you a really big one that I want all of you to really consider doing after this podcast. And that is 
First of all, you mentioned my book, The Anticipatory Organization. Rather than do what a lot of authors would do and just say, go to Amazon and buy it. And by the way, I'm happy if you want to go to Amazon and buy it. I'm going to actually (laughs) give it to you right now. So let's get that out of the way. So you'll know I'm not here to sell you a book. I'm going to actually not just give you an ebook. I'm going to give you a hardcover copy of my latest best-selling book and number one on Amazon, The Anticipatory Organization. To get it, you just have to go to the website, the, T-H-E-A-O book.com. The A-O book. Notice I'm not making you write out anticipatory organization. <laughs> and if you do that, you're going to have to pay a few bucks for shipping, but I'm not making money on it. You'll see it's very low. You'll get the book within four or five days, and now you've got it. So there you go. So I'm not here to sell you a book. Heck, I just gave it to you. So now what I want to do is help you and motivate you to actually take a little time and read this book to become anticipatory, and there's elements to it. So here's what I'd like you to do, and it'd be great if you took a little time to read that book first to get even better at it, and that is Mm -hmm. I'd like you to spend one hour a week. By the way, that is doable. Two or three or four, maybe not, but one hour is doable. And what do I want you to do in that hour? And by the way, uh, coaching on this, put it in your calendar, because if you don't, you'll never do it. And Mm -hmm. make it an appointment once a week. And I want you to unplug from the present, the crisis you're managing, the deal you're trying to cut, and instead plug into your future. Why? It's where you're going to spend the rest of your life. Maybe you want to think about it. And in that hour, I would like you to start out by asking yourself, what are all the things I'm certain about? Not the not uncertain. What are the things that I know will happen? What are the future facts? What are the hard trends shaping the future? And remember what I said tie an opportunity for you to each one of those. Create a list. By the way, I've been working with companies, there's thousands of them, not hundreds, thousands of them. So once you start doing this, all of a sudden, whoa, it starts coming to life. And then I'd like you to narrow it down to the low-hanging fruit. Pick one or two that are wouldn't take that long to do, that would have a big payoff, and make it happen. Make it so. Because I'm teaching you this right now as a principle. I mentioned it earlier, but let me mention it again. If it can be done, it will be done. If you don't do it, someone else will. So the risk now is not doing it. You know why? Because somebody else will. Absolutely. Someone else will get there. And then you always say, man, what a simple idea. I I thought of that one. Why didn't I do it? Yeah, exactly. How many times have we all said that? It's kind of like with problems. That's part of being anticipatory. After you kind of go through these hard trends, and look at the opportunities, you're going to also generate some soft trends, some things that are not guaranteed to happen, not absolute future facts. And remember, each one of those has an opportunity to influence them. So you can change those things. You can influence them in a positive way. So I want to have those strategies too. And then the third element that I'll just give you because we have limited time in this interview is now that you looked at the future of your customers, now that you looked at the future of the channel, now that you've looked at the future of your organization and you see some things you know will happen and some opportunities, what are some predictable problems that your partners will have? What are some of the predictable problems you'll have? What are some of the predictable problems your key customers are going to have? And what is the strategy to help pre-solve them so that you or they don't have them in the first place? When it's internal and you do that for yourself, what you're doing is you're helping yourself move forward faster because if you don't pre-solve it, you're going to end up having it. Now it's going to take a lot more time. If you're looking at this from a customer hat and you look at the problems that you know they will have, and by the way, you'll find them. 
and then you have an opportunity to pre-solve it, what is that? It's an amazing new service or product you can offer them that will be delivered at the moment of need. And when you have something that's delivered right as it's hitting them right between the eyes and no one else has it because they didn't foresee it, they weren't anticipatory, whoa, you have a win-win and an advantage. Let me throw at you a real-life scenario. We've been talking a lot on this podcast about channel programs and you know the traditional partner programs with your requirements, your benefits, certifications, three tiers, they're getting stale and they seem less and less relevant. So people are starting to think, what will the new modern partner program look like? And some people are coming out with some really innovative ones that are featured on the podcast. Uh, as people that tackle that problem, can some of the techniques that you talk about in your book, and I'm thinking of one in particular called the law of opposites, can that be applied in this scenario? Uh, yes. And the law of opposites uh, basically is that if you want to really innovate, if you want to see sometimes even bigger idea, look in the exact opposite direction. And you already had an imp you already think there's a possible connection. Let me throw the interview to you for a second. Mm -hmm. What were you thinking about the law of opposites? And then since it's my law, let me give you some more input. But what were you thinking of how that might fit? Well, my thought and, and thoughts of some of the guests on the show too are one, do away with these all these different complex tiers of of tiering partners by sales volume, for example, and just have a flat program and tie the benefits to a business plan uh, that can be customized, almost personalized to each partner. That's one. Another would be we've morphed into 10 different partner programs as each new technology came out. So first you had a reseller program, then a cloud program, then an influencer program. I think you could do away with all those and just have one program with that personalized approach that would cover them all. Well, I think you just hit a key. And by the way, I think you're on target here because complexity doesn't give you help you to get there faster. And it's becoming cumbersome and complex. It didn't, that was not the intent, but that's what you got. Yeah. So I think the key is we need to get it back to being much simpler and we don't want it to be customized. That's the old way of thinking. We want it to be personalized. Personalized. And there's a way to have the customer self-customize it or personalize it for themselves. And that can be done using mobility, using virtualization and other tools. So I think there's a way to do that for sure. Secondly, when it comes to certifications and training, because there's a lot of those elements to it, mm -hmm. I've been working with a lot of the biggest and largest universities on this in different fields, as well as some of the uh, trade unions like National Electrical Contractors and others, you know, and how are we going to do this? Because, for example, with electrical contractors, they're either journeymen, the highest level, or apprentice, the lowest level. There's no middle. That's it. There's two levels. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, well, that worked in the past, but I don't know if that's going to work going forward. So something that I'd love you to think about is the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts. Think about them. What do they have? Well, they, they also have that, all these badges. Right. And then when you have a collection of badges, they equal something else. Now, in our case, you learn how to do a certain thing. You learn a certain a level of task. You get a badge, and a cluster of badges gives you a certification. Mm -hmm. A number of certifications gives you, whether it's a degree or something else, but you need, in other words, it's a way to foster personalized educational approach. It's also a way of seeing that, you know, the variety of attributes and knowledge that you have. Mm-hmm you know, as an individual. So you will have on your LinkedIn profile, all these badges and these clustered badges around certifications. 
and that, and then those certifications giving you different levels so that I could see, oh, I didn't know you could also do that. Oh, you got one over there. And by the way, I got one of these over here. Wow. Well, actually, those two would work really together with our situation. Let's give that person a call. Yeah. You see where I'm going? Yeah, I love it. I love it. Okay. So in the interest of time, I know we got to start wrapping up, but I'm a channel chief or I'm in a channel organization. I'm being anticipatory. I've come up with some great new ideas. Now I got to sell the C-suite on these ideas and get funding. Any advice for how I sell them on something that they're, they might just think is outrageous? Yeah, absolutely. Number one is, first of all, know when you're going up to talk to whatever that next level is or that person or that CFO that has their hands on the purse string. And of course, they've been trained to not give you money. So does <laughs> that cost money? Right. So what, so what you have to do is you have to ask yourself, first, what are the hard trends, those future facts that is supported by what I'm asking for, for what I'm trying to do, so that I'm not coming in giving an opinion. In other words, what I want you to do is to give your opinion less and speak in future facts more, because the minute you hear a future fact, you know it's true, and you know you aren't going to debate it. You don't need a, to read a PDF. And when you start speaking in future facts, I don't have to get other opinions because you know you're speak. You're not giving me opinion. You're stating a future fact. Yeah. So that's number one, important. Secondly, then you give your what you're wanting, you state the cost of what you're wanting, because there's always a cost of some kind in time and money. But then before you go and wait for them to give you an answer, I want you to do one more super important thing. And that is, wait, before we go any further, let me give you the cost of saying no. And I want you to be very specific about the no but make it dimensional. It's not just about money. It's, been, it's loss of competitive clout. It's a loss of brand. It's loss of customers. It's loss of market share. In other words, when you really do a good job with the cost of the no, you will find every single time that a yes is far less expensive than a no. And when a yes is less expensive than a no, guess what? You're going to get a lot of yeses. And when you base it on a future fact, you know what? It's not going to be debated. They're not going to say, well, let me get someone else's opinion because you're not giving them your opinion anymore. You're stating future facts. I can't tell you how many people I've shared this with that come and tell me, wow, that single thing was really huge. It just works so good. So I'm just letting you know, try that. You will really, really like it. Well, two great tips there. Less opinion, more future facts, and the cost of saying no. That's fantastic. Daniel, Great content here. Very valuable. Priceless content, I'll say, for the channel. One more question, less channel-oriented. I'm curious. You've traveled all over the world. You've met with thousands of organizations. Any fun adventures or stories you have to tell from all that travel? You know, many, many, many thousands of great stories <laughs> with those. But what I think would be really valuable to share is that we're all humans on this planet. And we have our fears and we also have our aspirations. And here's what gets me excited about everywhere I go and about the channel. And that is everything could be so much better. In other words, let's put it in. Let's be a little humorous about this. Everything sucks. <laughs> everything sucks. And you know what? Good. Love that. Because that's what positive disruption is all about. You see, you're going to either be the disruptor or the disrupted. And most people think disruptors are bad guys. 
And why is that? That's because it happens to you. And now you've got to go do something and try and crisis manage. But does the CEO of Amazon see disruption as negative? No, it's the people he's disrupting that see it as negative. I want you to be a positive disruptor, creating the disruptions that need to happen because everything sucks. Well, that is a great note to end the show on. Be a positive disruptor. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me. And also, I want to call out a thanks, special thanks to Laura Stewart, who introduced us. So thanks, Laura. Daniel, great show. Yeah, yeah. And but one last quick one yep. for you. I have, I think, 1.3 million followers on LinkedIn because I'm writing an article a week. Join the conversation, link up with me there and as one of the influencers. And I think you'll get a weekly dose from that as well. I'll share my your info on the podcast with all of my followers because I've got a couple million blog readers every week. I'll just try to get more people reading and seeing what you're doing as well. That's awesome, Daniel. All right. So folks, there'll be a link to the free book and a link to Daniel's LinkedIn so you can follow him there as well. All right, Daniel, that's a wrap. You have a great summer. Okay, you too. Take care. Wow, where do I even begin? Well, thank you, Daniel, for sharing so many valuable tips. It is really hard to choose my favorite. Daniel lays out ways to anticipate the future and create really disruptive channel initiatives. And we all want to be the disruptors, not the disrupted. So be sure that when you're pitching your initiatives, that you use more facts and less opinion and share the cost of saying no before you even get an answer. Great advice. If you have not read The Anticipatory Organization, be sure to get a free copy of Daniel's book. You can find the link at channeljourneys.com backslash CJ33 at the bottom of the show notes. And join me next week. I'll be talking with another high-profile channel chief whom I also met out at Channel Focus. His name's Rob Ray, VP of Business Development at Datto. And Rob is an expert on finding and engaging managed service providers. You don't want to miss it. Until then, have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.